and it was like somebody turned off a faucet. One day we got phone call after phone call after phone call. We lost like $60,000 with a book business in one day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you have any idea how long it takes to book $60,000 with a business. Oh. It's, <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Cruise ship season canceled. All the conventions are canceled, the shows, sports events. And I knew we weren't going to make it. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. This week, a prominent Seattle chef and restaurateur shares his deeply personal, heartbreaking tale of having to close his restaurants in Seattle. And he also shares what that has meant as far as a rebirth for his career at a small, out-of-the-way restaurant near Ellensburg, Washington, that he's using to reconnect our food system between those producing and growing food, those cooking it, and those eating it. His name is Kevin Davis, and this is the first time he's opened up about some of the things that went on behind the scenes with his restaurants in downtown Seattle and what happened when the pandemic hit and just how devastating that was, but also how incredible that's been for him to change the trajectory of his career and his life. Enjoy this conversation today at Canyon River Grill with Kevin Davis. Also, I want to thank our sponsors, Mana Insurance Group, with locations in Washington, California, and Arizona, helping you plan for your, to protect your financial future rather than just pick up the pieces when things go wrong. Also, and, and that would apply in, in something like Kevin's case too, what, what is your plan for your business, for your life, for your home, your auto, to protect your family? That's a big question that Mana Insurance Group can help you answer. Also, Dairy Farmers of Washington, sponsoring the podcast, supporting what we do here, telling real stories of people growing food, raising food, producing food here in Washington State. And of course, they're all about the dairy farmers. And we share many stories of dairies here in Washington, along with Dairy Farmers of Washington, who do a great job of that at wadairy.org. So without further ado, we go to the banks of the Yakima River at Canyon River Grill and talk with Chef Kevin Davis. So the Canyon River Grill, what is this? This is an incredible place that I knew nothing about until, you know, you guys connected with me and followed you on social media. I'm like, wow. And you invited me out to chat. Talk about what this place is and how this got started. Yeah, well, it's pretty amazing. Actually, I've been fishing here for 20 years. And um, when I first got to... Uh, Seattle. Actually, mm-hmm. I came to, to Western Washington first, the mm-hmm. Seattle area, to learn how to fly fish. I just kind of fell in love with the concept. I'd grown up yeah. fishing, and I was always into it. And um, fishing and foraging, those are the things I, that I, I wanted to have in my life. Yeah. And the third component was there had to be wine in a wine-growing <laughs> region. You know, and I lived in the south of France, and I lived in uh, Napa Valley. And um, my wife at the time, Teresa Davis, she she wasn't really happy with living in Napa Valley. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's where and, you had been prior. Right, where we were living in St. Helena, mm-hmm. and, which was great for me. I mean, it's living in a small town, yeah. but still doing what I felt was significant, meaningful work as a chef. Yeah. And so I liked it a lot. It was a little too small town for her. Mm. So anyway, I said, well, you know, I can go anywhere where these, these three things come together. Yeah. And that's how we settled on Seattle. And we moved to Seattle, and I just went out and bought my first fly fishing gear set up knew nothing about it yeah even though i'd been fishing a lot fly fishing is a completely different right. tangent totally so um it took me a, a while to really 
kind of just figure it out. But after a while of catching these little small east, thro- east coast or east slope cutthroats, mm-hmm. I, uh, I discovered or somebody told me about the Yakima River. And I came out here. I remember going to Tantum Campground and catching my first like significant rainbow trout. And I'm like, man, this is this is what it's all about. So yeah. I began to in my free time when I wasn't you know cooking and it, it you know it's few and far between. But I would camp right down there in Tantum. And uh, over a period of time, I met these guys, Steve Joyce, who was in a little fly shop here, and we just kind of struck up, struck up a friendship right off the bat. And then, as it turns out, a lot of my customers in my restaurants in Seattle mm-hmm. were um, basically you know, customers of Steve. And so we wound up actually doing this crossover fishing thing. And I, a lot of times, people would want to have a chef when they're going fishing. Right. And they would invite me. And, and uh, you know, so we kind of struck up a friendship. Yeah. A couple of years down the road, Steve said, hey, we're going we're gonna to open up a lodge here in this spot. Now, my first thought was no. Please, please don't do it, because really? it was my secret. It was this <laughs> yeah. was like my secret spot. I didn't yeah. want anybody here. In yeah. fact, I wanted to come out here to be alone and have it all to myself. <laughs> I mean, I truly was in love. I was smitten yeah. with this area. I mean, I don't know if you know it or not, but this is the only blue ribbon trout stream in Washington State. Mm. And it also reminds me a lot of my childhood. I spent summers in New Mexico, mm. and it's just it dovetails right into it. I just felt like I was home. Yeah, and so. Um, you know, that, that, that uh, was kind of the beginning of the relationship. And then they also said, oh, yeah, we're going to do a restaurant, too. Now, at the time, I had, I had been uh, the chef of a restaurant in Seattle for five years, and, and I decided that I was going to open up my own restaurant, which was Steelhead Diner. So this was now 13 years ago, 14 years ago. And so my, the restaurant was called Steelhead Diner. So it was like a magnet for fly fishermen. Mm. So if you like to fly fish and you're a chef, yeah. You know, all of a sudden I had all these customers that were right in my door and I was right in the Pike Place market. I had, you know, what I thought was was the, the bounty of Washington State. And um, and, you know, I was always made my concept about that restaurant to be only stuff from the Pacific Northwest. Mm. The wine list was all Pacific Northwest. I tried to, you know, only sort local ingredients when they were in season and I only use fish and seafood and meat from the Pacific Northwest. So, I mean, it was in my the fat, genetic fabric of my restaurant. Right. And um, This was Steelhead Diner. Steelhead Diner. Where was it? In the Pike Place Market. Nice. It was right above where, uh, you know, um, the old uh, Seattle's Best Coffee. Okay. Directly yeah. above it. And then I opened another restaurant called Blue Acre. And that was on 7th and Olive. And by, the, by that time, Steve had formulated this lodge and it was in motion. And he said, we're going, to do a, we're going to do a restaurant there. And we want you to give us a hand with it. And I said, well, I'd love to do that. And we were moving in that direction. And, and then it just the reality of being a restaurant tour there and mm-hmm. all the obligations that it, you know, for time commitment that it took to run a restaurant yeah. and being responsible for this restaurant coming back and forth, it just wasn't in the cards. So we said, oh, no, but we'll, we'll help you open it. Yeah. And so I came in. I wrote the menu, hired the staff, brought my, all my staff over from Seattle. We trained their staff mm-hmm. and then, you know, kind of went back to the west side. Well, when you're designing this, what was the intent? Like, how would you describe well, so the restaurant? The, the, I, there was a, I hired a chef and, um, and I thought, man, I was like, wow, you have the Yakima Valley at your doorstep. Yeah. You, have, you have all these things. You, you, you could have... You know, you could have a garden here. 
you could source all your stuff just right over the hill. You could focus on, on wines from the Yakima Valley. You could focus on produce. You could focus on beers from the Yakima Valley. And all these things were in my mind. And um, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just kind of make a long story short of this part. But I did wind up opening four restaurants, four large restaurants in downtown Seattle mm. and a coffee shop. And things were going well. I mean, we thought we were in an incredible location. All of my restaurants were centrally, loca- centrally located right downtown. 7th and Olive, right across the street from the convention center, basically next door to a 1,400-room hotel. Um, the Seattle Diner was in the market. I opened another restaurant right across from Blue Acre called Zane & Wiley's. And it, I mean, it was, we were poised. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, Things, things are really going our way. Yeah. This is perfect. You know, we don't, we're not bound by, you know, the economy or really anything. A lot of, a lot of restaurants and neighborhoods have to deal with right. that. But um, downtown Seattle, you're kind of immune from it. You yeah. know, you always have Amazon in your back door. You have Nordstrom. You have Facebook. Nordstrom was in our building. So I thought, man, everything's going great. Mm-hmm. And then I heard about COVID. And it was, mm-hmm. it was just like overnight. You know, and I was like, what the hell even is a pandemic? I didn't, I had no <laughs> right. idea what a pandemic was. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I get the news, hey, they, they canceled Taste Washington. It's like, what? And then it was, you know, one cancellation after the other. And, and then um, we found out that Nordstrom and Amazon were sending their employees home indefinitely. And they were going to work from home. And it was like somebody turned off a faucet. One day we got phone call after phone call after phone call, we lost like $60,000 worth of book business in one day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you have any idea how long it takes to book $60,000 worth of business. Oh. It's, it's heartbreaking. And at that point, cruise ship season canceled. All the conventions are canceled, the shows, sports events. And I knew we weren't going to make it. I just, mm. there was just no way. Um, so mm. we wound up having to close our restaurants. And it, it was, it was, one of the mo- probably the most difficult thing up into this point in my life that I, I would ever have to do, or couldn't even imagine it weeks before, right. and then I was staring it straight in the face. I mean, we were ground zero. My restaurants were ground zero, seventh and all of them. So um, I called up my my friend Chap, uh, Steve, who owns is a, yeah. uh, owner of the lodge, and I said, "Well, uh, it looks like I'm not going to make it," and and I, I just found out that. Because I'm the CEO of my company, I don't even get unemployment. Mm-hmm. I don't qualify for unemployment. Mm-hmm. I, I need a job. <laughs> and he said, well, it just so happens our chef just resigned. And um, I had talked them into building a, a, an apartment upstairs for the chef. <laughs> and, and Did you have and, it in the back of your yeah, mind that I, someday? You know, you know, actually, I did. I, I bought a property when I first opened Blue Acre here. And I had every intention to retire here. Mm-hmm. This was my place. And um, I did have every intention to retire here because I just actually fell in love with the Yakima Valley and specifically this little portion of the canyon. Hmm. And so, as it turned out, um, here I am. And wow. uh, it, it, um, it was almost like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy when we, were, when we were putting it together, I mean, we didn't ever wind up developing that property that we bought here. We actually sold it to open up our last restaurant. Mm. And so that never went, uh, came to fruition. But, um, you know, here I am. And uh, the, actually, the, I couldn't think of a better place to be. You know, the Yakima Valley is everything that I, I hoped it would be. And it's everything 
that I wanted it to be, put it that way. Yeah. From being from Western Washington and coming to Eastern Washington, you know, I like the open spaces. Mm-hmm. The people are real, you know, not to cast shade on anybody in Western Washington. Right. Everybody's doing their thing. There's Everybody's, a different vibe, though, and it's, it's more low-key. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, everybody has to do their own thing. But on this side of the mountains, you know, uh, I, find, I find things that, that I'm interested in right at my front door. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, uh, I spent the last part of the year, even when we were closed during COVID, going out and meeting people meeting producers, meeting growers, you know, mm-hmm. and doing a little interview, mainly just to get to know them and introduce yeah. myself to them. And so that one day when uh, I'm, you know, back up and running, that when, they, when zucchini's in season, they show up at my door. And when, when the real tomatoes are there, yeah. they call me. And well, and having they, that human relationship is so important. I mean, food is about people and relationship. Well, yeah, right? it's, and kind of everything. I mean, they, they call me if they have, they have an event or they, 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 they need a favor or they, they have some great product they want me to get a hold of. And vice versa, you know, I use their product whenever I can. I feature it on my list. And also I learn, I learn every time I go out and do a, uh, an interview, a little, a little Instagram shot, um, I learn about what makes them tick. And to me, that's just so interesting. I find it fascinating. You know, the the Yakima Valley is, uh, as as you know, it runs east-west. Right. And which makes it just this powerhouse of growing potential. If you can mm-hmm. get water to it, yeah. right outside our back door, we mm-hmm. have the Yakima River. If you can water it, it, it it's going to grow. And I mean, everything, if you think about what we have here, not, no, not to mention just some of the finest grapes on the planet and some of the finest wine comes out of Yakima Valley. You know, you have everything from hops, some of the best beers you'll ever put in your mouth, you know, to asparagus, amazing stone fruit, berries, mushrooms, I just spent a lot of time, well, this wasn't a great mushroom year, but I spent a lot of time kicking around the, the hills looking for morels and yeah. found some. Probably been too dry, right? It was dry. It was yeah. dry. I did, I did have a little bit of luck, but, you know, there's always next year, and then there's fall, and, you know, those are things that fascinate me. And, and then going into fall, I mean, I, I love to fish, but I'm kind of right centrally located between all the amazing steelhead fishing, trout's in my back door, there's chucker hunting. It's just, I mean, to me, um, it's just very exciting. Plus, uh, one of the things that I, if you heard me mention, I said, well, uh, hey, you know, you could have your own garden here because chefs fantasize. Yeah. I always fantasize about having my own garden and growing my own food, even the smallest amount, because mm-hmm. in, in the city, it's not really that much of an option. There's not a whole lot yeah. of potential for it. You hear it, about these chefs. These luck, lucky guys, you know, <laughs> one in each city has a, you know, a rooftop garden yeah. that, that some billionaire, you know, made for him. And, but those are really few and far between. Or, you know, Thomas Keller, who's got 15 acres or whatever. Yeah. I, I mentioned that to Steve, who's the owner here. And I said, hey, Steve, remember we talked about that garden? A week later, he had five raised beds, giant raised beds that he, he actually bought from a pot farmer. <laughs> and they were they were lined up back there, and like a, a week later, they were they were fenced in, and and I was growing. I had my first growing season last year, and uh, I spent just every morning I'd wake up and go into the garden, just to see you know what's what's happening, and it changes every single day. And I mean it's just 
it blew my mind. That what does that feel like to work backwards? Because you're someone who knows food on like the very end. You, know, you take the stuff that other people have grown, packaged, processed, whatever, and you make the final art that gets served to people to uh, eat, right? Yeah. But now you're working backwards towards growing it. You know, how does that change is, how you do your thing? The funny thing is, is there's a certain amount of pressure that goes with it, right? Yeah. If then I grow that thing and it all, it's all wilted and brown and yeah. it has holes in it, you know, what does that look like? What's it? People are going to drive up and go, oh, man, I hope that guy's a good cook. <laughs> Let's true. go, honey. Let's go into Yakima. <laughs> you know, that's what I was worried about. But the yeah. first year it came up and, and it was great. And, uh, you know, I actually had a gar my garden over winter. I had certain things that, that actually survived the winter. Wow. It was a pretty mild winter. But still, I mean, I was yeah. harvesting arugula in March. And, um, you know, it's it, satisfying when you give somebody something you grew. You know, when you make a dish out of something you grew. Or if I need inspiration, I'll just walk out there. You know, the other day I had, I did some radish, radishes. I had a whole bed of radishes, but I planted them too, too close together. But I, I had this dish going in my mind with this halibut dish. And it was really spring. It was, you know, something that I was really, uh, but I needed one more component. I walked out there, I'm like, these radish starts, they're not going to turn into radishes, but they're starts. And you pull them up, and they had these teeny little radishes on it, man. I was just walking around like a banny rooster, you know, <laughs> just, to, just to have that. And, yeah. and it's not big enough to provide a whole lot of, of uh, food, but I'm, I'm getting smarter about what I, what I plant right. to make sure that what I do plant, I could harvest and actually use for a whole weekend. And right. then, you know, come back and the next week, harvest another bit, use that for the whole weekend. So um, kind of do a different feature thing yeah. week by week, yeah, depending it, on what's ready. Yeah. And it's still it's still a puzzle to me. You know, the, yeah. no, they it's like, you know, OK, there's your garden. Go for it. And, you yeah. know, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm from the city. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> so I read a lot and I watched a lot of uh, Instagram and YouTube and, and um, I get a lot of advice. I'm gonna I say, a there's lot a lot of people oh, out yeah. this valley who. They, have they know what they're doing decades at it together centuries upon centuries yeah. of experience yeah growing like anything just about anything has grown yeah. in this region i know i know it's amazing and and salt of the earth people man i tell you that people yeah. just they just real and nice and want to help you and you know that's uh to me uh in this day and age after going through you know what what we just went through mm -hmm. um it's it's just been a breath of fresh air it's breath of fresh air you know every every time i go out and i meet somebody or i do i do one of those little videos or talk about something a product you know and these are the best thing about it is like i've heard you mention this is it's real this stuff is real i mean you go out and and if, if you taste a yakima vine ripe tomato that's grown in season you you're like this is this is just amazing you know peaches stone fruit cherries berries big thick jumbo asparagus you know violet asparagus you're just like you just think about it the whole year yep. and it, it to me you know there's always and there's always something hitting the market hitting mm -hmm. you know and uh um that's something that that i don't think i'm, I'm ever going to get tired of and as a yeah. chef my menu changes it can change daily um i write it every i usually write it on thursday I usually write it during the week in my head, and then yeah. I put it on paper on Wednesday, and then Thursday I start putting it together, and it changes and it, it you know grooms a little bit depending on what uh, you know. Now we're just starting to get into the the meat of the, the growing season, and uh, you know I was so happy when Fruit City opened up. 
there in Yakima because I love, I love going there and seeing what they have because, you know, whatever they have, it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. They've been sourcing there for, you know, since 65. So if it's, if it's on their shelf, it's probably going to be phenomenal. And plus I get to go to Los Hernandez and get a, a bunch of tamales, take home back to the cooks, you know, and share with the guys. That's always a treat, awesome. you know, so it's right across the street from there. And uh, it, it, I'm just scratching the surface. Yeah. Um, so if you're, in, if, you, if you're growing stuff in Yakima Valley or you're producing wine or you're producing beer, uh, I want to meet you. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I love so what you're saying on. about that you were you know, purposefully going out to meet producers. Not only are you sourcing local stuff, local food, local produce for your menu, for your restaurant – but you want to have that based on a relationship. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people are longing for. That's why I'm doing this podcast yeah. is to make that accessible. I mean, you're trying to, and you have the ability to do that as a chef, but to the average person who just buys food at the grocery store, they want to know like, where does their food come from? Yeah. And so that's why we launched this podcast. So you're like exactly in line with where I am to go out and, and have real conversations with people producing food so we know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we're putting in our body. It's something that we enjoy as an art, as nourishment, so many things. It's kind of a big deal. And I don't want to just get whatever from wherever. Yeah. I want it from here. Well, I'll tell you what my, I guess, my most important motivation is, is that, you know, I'm starting over from scratch at 65. Yeah. At scratch, ground zero. And I don't have time. Yeah. I don't have time to, over the years, know, find out these things, find out who grows the best asparagus or where, mm-hmm. does, where are the best, you know, uh, huckleberries, you know, where can you find the best morels? I don't have time. Yeah. I need to do it. Yeah. And that's why I've spent the last year and so much time trying to develop these relationships and explore and, and learn and, and try to figure out the best sources. And people will tell you. You know, people will tell you they have pride in what they do and they'll tell you, you know, where to get it, where to find it. And um, and so I'm extremely motivated because, you know, I'm trying to build a great restaurant. Yeah. Getting to know these farmers here in Washington state. I mean, beyond salt of the earth people talk about what you're gleaning from them, getting to know about them as far as the care that they put into the food that they grow. Yeah, you know, so a lot of times I find farmers in my, in my restaurant. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one guy, I've been buying this uh, uh, Pence Farm peaches, Burt Pence. Mm-hmm. And I've been like a, a devotee of his for many years because he, he was among the first guys that, that uh, I guess under the advice of John Rowley, decided to ripen his peaches to 19 bricks before he picked them. Wow. Because most Super everybody sweet. else picks their their peaches green and this was really novel um you know philosophy and and um and when I, i've been buying it every year i buy his peaches and, and i call up my produce guy okay what kind of peaches do you have this week you know what 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 are they what is he going to give me because it's like wine every year they're different and every variety is different same thing with cherries and i yeah. i didn't really know that i didn't really understand it until you know I guess until I moved to Seattle and I started getting these products from Eastern Washington, yeah. you know, and so, so not too long ago, I, I went, uh, I saw a reservation last year. It was when I first started, I saw a reservation. It said Pence. And I was like, I wonder if that's Burt Pence. 
And it was. Awesome. It was. And he's just, you know, been the, the, the nicest guy. And he's like, you know, uh, come, come out to the farm. Same thing with, same thing with uh, my, uh, my beef program. So Royal Ranch Advantage. Um, I started using these guys and just because their product was exceptional. And then I met, I met the ranchers. And they came in. And this was, this was actually during COVID. And they're a Mormon family, very, you know, uh, it just, it, it's just a big family. Yeah. And lo and behold, they, they, they have this farm. Not only do they do, they do uh, uh, beef, but they do all sorts of vegetables. They do, um, you know, their asparagus. They do stone fruit. They do cherries. They're like all in one. And we, they, we had a dinner for, for uh, their birthday. And, and I went into this. We had a tent outside. And there were 20 of them. It was kind of an odd experience because they were all, nobody was drinking. Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. Normally you walk into a room yeah. like that at the middle of the night of a party, their yeah. parties, but they were all like, you know, yep. but they were all so keyed in to what they did. I could tell. It's just like, it was just a family effort. And, you know, I, I get, I get uh, a lot of enjoyment from meeting families like that and knowing that, you know, I can buy from Double R Ranch where they're killing a thousand head of cattle a week or or I can buy from Vantage where they're killing 80. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot more care, a lot more attention. They know yeah. their animals, you know, and um, that, that's, to me, it's really important, especially in this day and age where there's a lot of things that people can't explain, a lot of diseases that people don't understand. I think yeah. you got to be really careful about what you eat. Mm-hmm. My philosophy has always been, since I, since I started cooking, was I don't eat processed food. And I want to eat it as close to the source as possible. Right. I don't, you know, I don't want somebody else, uh, somebody else um, making it for me. And I don't want to be heating it up. I don't use microwaves. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like a nut job, but no, I just, I just don't. I think more I don't and more people are are thinking more about that. I used to not give that the time of day, and now that's becoming more a part of what I do with my food as well. Yeah. I, my my struggle is how processed. You, you know, is because really any uh, cheese technically is a processed food right. because it's not milk anymore, uh-huh. but it's minimally processed, right? As right. compared to say what I like to call fake cheese, which I still have on my hamburger, but <laughs> everyone around me. Well, every now and then you need, good, that, you need a good burger, fake right? Cheese on my hamburger. Yeah, and so one of the things that I do here is uh, my my restaurants were focused on seafood too in seattle mm-hmm. blue acre was a seafood restaurant and it was before that ocean air so i kind of um made made my made that my my specialty and uh so for 20 years in seattle i was focused on all the seafood that was you know coming in throughout the year i i knew you know i had my sources yeah but and and i thought that when i came here it might it might be different but I, I think we have a good system of how to get it here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm bringing this product, the very same product that I was using in uh, Western Washington in downtown Seattle, mm-hmm. but you can get it here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like tomorrow night, we have sashimi gray bluefin tuna from Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. We have uh, black cod from Nia Bay. We have halibut cheeks. We have mussels, uh, Taylor, Taylor uh, Mediterranean species mussels. I have Royal Miyagi triploids. I have jumbo gulf shrimp. In addition to corbuda pork, prime beef, we have our own pastry chef. 
oh. do our own desserts here. And I'm getting hungry. Just yeah. Talking <laughs> about this. That's yeah. Amazing so, lineup. So I think people, um, people, people uh, are enjoying it. People are enjoying it, and I think it's been a, a, a great way to to um, you know get to know people in Yakima and Ellensburg. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, I think this place was a destination for for Westsiders, affluent Westsiders who wanted to fish, and the restaurant uh, now I think has been a reason for people in Yakima and people in Ellensburg, you know, uh, to come. And to feel like this is this is their place. This is their place. This yeah. is where their stuff is. This is where they can get their beer that they made. This is where they can get the wine yeah. they made. They can they can have it. You know, it's like full circle community. Then the people who are growing the food, preparing the food, enjoying it all together. There's a certain full circle, like wholesomeness about yeah. that. Yeah. No, it's 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 good. And and you know, I've I've been cooking since. I guess my first real chef job was in uh, 91. But, uh, no, actually, 89, I was a chef of a, a restaurant in South Australia. Wow. And so I've been a chef continuously since 1989. And, um, you know, I, I think that what we offer is real, just like they are, just yeah. like the, the product that we're serving. And how, how did you become a chef? Like, what, what was your journey to that point? You know, that... that um, that was kind of I don't want to get into a, a forever story but uh, yeah. actually my mom died when I was young mm. and my dad uh, figured the best way to hold the family together because it was just him raising the family I had uh, a brother and a sister and um, so his his way to hold the family together yet teach us the uh, our own uh, self-reliance was to teach us how to cook but actually he didn't teach us how to cook he cooked on Friday and Saturday and we had to cook the rest of the nights yeah. and each kid had two nights and so, you know, you came home from school, yeah. football practice or whatever, you had to cook dinner. And, uh, and you have a bit of motivation at that point because you're hungry. That's right. <laughs> sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Yeah. So by the time I got out of high school, I already had a, a good idea of how to cook. My yeah. grandmother was from South Louisiana. She held mm -hmm. the whole family together with her recipes. I mean, she was a, an excellent cook. And um, she was kind of like the godfather holding the family together with, with her chicken stew, you know? It was yeah. like people would worship her, you know? They'd go and have an audience <laughs> with her after the end of the meal. She, and uh, and I, I began to associate, believe it or not, food and esteem and power through that. It was yeah. just an odd thing. Uh, but but well, and there's a culture was, that embraced that way right, back, right. Louisiana. And she, she was Cajun like cuisine. revered if not worship for her ability to cook it for a whole family. And uh, I mean like several families. And so, so that had, had to be formative for you yeah. to be like, well, was. that's a big deal. I know I aspire to that. Yeah. So I didn't understand um, that I wanted to be a chef, but I knew I could cook. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went to college. I, I decided I wanted to be, I wanted to major in literature and in the arts. And my mm -hmm. dad said, uh, who's, you know, very pragmatic person said, well, yeah. you can do that, but you're going to have to pay for it. I want you to be in business. I'll pay for it a business degree. So I come fumbled around college for a couple of years and, you know, never, never really found anything that excited me business at the time, yeah. bored me. And, um, I, uh, but I got a job in a restaurant at the world's fair in 1984 in new Orleans. 
and man, I was like a kid in the circus. I knew, I knew I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the whole excitement, the atmosphere, the every night, it's the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, really you live it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I have ADHD. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I have a short attention span, but it it just suited my personality. And so I took to it very well. Uh, at some point, I decided to move to South Florida, and I, I began, I kind of stumbled into a job uh, at a restaurant called Max Luna, and I was just transported because I was working with a world-class chef, mm-hmm. Charles Saunders at the time, and um, in, a, in a really fine northern Italian restaurant, brand new in Boca Raton, mm-hmm. and it just hit me like, you know, like a brick. I'm like, you know... I can I could do this. I could do this and I could express my creativity. I could be an artist. Yeah. I could make a living doing this and I could be good at it. And, and that was it. After that, you know, I kind of just uh I said, "Okay, well, what do I have to do to be a chef?" At the time, people didn't really go to school, only a few and far between. I hardly yeah. even I met a couple of people from this place called the Culinary Institute, but I didn't really know what it was. It was just yeah. apprenticeships. So I decided to have to go to France. So I, I took a, I had a job as a chef in, you know, and I, would, I would have been 19 years old, 20 years old. And I had a job as a chef in this dinky resort in, in uh, Isla Morada. And I, they had a, a place for me to live and they were paying me in cash. I saved all of my money for six months. At the end of the six months, I sold my car and moved to France. Wow. And uh, I was with a friend of mine who was a pastry chef at a restaurant I was working at. She came with me. She wanted to move to France also. And uh, she said, yeah, I, I, know, I know somebody who knows somebody in the south of France. We could probably get jobs. As it turns out, this person knew a person named Monsieur Abella who owned the Abella Corporation, who also owned several hotels, it, one in Cannes and one in Nice. And the hotel that he owned in, in Cannes was the, the Grey d'Avion, which was home to the chef uh, Jacques Chibois, who that year was the chef of the year in the Gomio Guide. He was it in France. And that was, that was just sheer luck. That was blind Amazing. luck. But, you know, I always say, you know, it's, it's, life is kind of like, like a fruit tree. You know, you mm. just have to reach out and grab it, but you, you, yeah. you got to grab it. You know, you can't be afraid to do it. And, and that's how we got there. And we did our apprenticeship. Um, and at the end of six months, seven months, kind of ran out of money. Yeah. You know, because it was an unpaid stage. Yeah. But I worked in South in Nice with Gerard Ferry and Jacques Chabot and Cannes. And it completely changed my life. Mm. I mean, I had traveled before. You know, I, we lived in Singapore when I was a kid. So I... I had this wanderlust already, this world travel. I wanted to travel. And so we moved back. We moved back uh, after um, the stage. She went to St. Helena, and I went to New Orleans. Well, I got a job in a kind of a famous Creole restaurant called Arnaud's. Mm. And I began to really, um, you know, em- kind of re-embrace my Creole Cajun, you know, heritage. And... Uh, it was really easy for me. I, I think I felt like I did really well, and, 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 and soon I was promoted to sous chef. But I knew I would never be, a, I'd never be the chef because all the chefs w- before me had been old and French. You know, they were like yeah. 50 years old. Here I'm 56 now. But <laughs> they were like old and French, and I'm like, but I had this great relationship with the owner. 
she moved to St. Helena. She got a job at Trevigne. Try to speed this up, but uh, I, I, um, after about a year, I said, oh, I'm never going to be the chef here. I answered an ad in the paper for Adelaide, South Australia, chef of a Cajun Creole restaurant. And within a month, I had a working visa, and I was in Adelaide. Wow. And uh, so that, would, that was 89. After a year, the owner of the restaurant called me up, of our nose, called me up out of the blue, and he said, uh, hey, the chef here has resigned, and we want you to come back. And so that's how I got back to New Orleans, and I was a chef there from 90 to 96. And meanwhile, my friend was in St. Helena. After about five years, I kind of felt like I was stagnating. You know, I always mm. use the analogy, I was... I was a blues musician, but I wanted to be a classical musician. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to be famous for something else. I wanted to do something else, and so, um, one day I called her up out of the blue and I said, you know, I'm thinking about moving to uh, California, and she said, well, we have a position open here as the executive chef at Trevigne, executive sous chef at Trevigne, and I applied for it and I got it, and at the time. I knew nothing about Italian cuisine. I mean, I'd been to Italy, right. and I loved it, and I'd learned it. I'd worked in an Italian restaurant before, yeah. but, I mean, not to that level. And so it was just like a, you know, warp speed. Yeah. Um, so that was, kind of, that was kind of what brought me to the West Coast. Then after a couple of years, as I said, Teresa didn't like St. Helena that much. No. I, I uh, wound up in Seattle. So much background that then all goes into your art. All these different influences. You got to pay your dues, man. You got to pay your dues. And you see my menu every day. It changes a little bit. I don't change it full scale, but I change uh, two or three dishes every day. And they're kind of my my repertoire. Like, for example, you know, when artichokes come in season, this is my artichoke dish every year. And it's only going to be a week or two that I'm going to have them. But that's the dish I do. And every year when, for example, when salmon and Bing cherries are in season on the same day. I do that dish every year. And I just roll through my repertoire of 30 years, my greatest hits. That way I keep, um, I keep, the, I keep the mistakes to a minimum. That way, yeah. you know, I keep the failure to a minimum. People yeah. have expectations. Yeah. Especially now, they have pretty high expectations. Yeah. When they're coming in, they, they're coming in for a reason. So, um, but it's good. I mean, I would never consider myself at this point, even though it seems like I'm changing all the time. I'm not experimental. Mm. I like to go with what works. When I do a dish, I want people to go, wow, that was the best whatever, best hamburger. That was the best piece of salmon I ever had. That was the best piece of, yeah. you know, the best salad. That's what, that's what I want to get from my customers. I'm not, I'm not trying to educate them. I want them to just enjoy this dish Experience. as the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. How much of what you're able, how much are you able to have local produce, meat, seafood, any of that in what you serve here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I focus on. So obviously, you know, up until now, this point this year, there's not a whole lot growing. But but now we're starting to get into the season, you know, just so far, so far, when as soon as asparagus hit the hit the shelves, local asparagus, I was there. And, you know, goes right into green beans, cherries, apricots. All those are within, you know, a stone's throw. Not really a stone's throw, but, but yeah. a couple of miles from here. Grown and sometimes not even refrigerated. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. you know i'm getting him just just right out of the the field right and then you know so we're looking forward to i'm growing my own tomatoes out there i got a pretty nice crop i got a feeling when they come on when they're when they come online we're going to use them up quick but but i use you know i go right into so like i said we we're we're featuring this week local green beans um Kalakum Valley Farm brings me the lettuce. She does a hothouse lettuce and uh, arugula and farm fresh, farm raised uh, chicken hmm. uh, eggs. Yep. So I got farm fresh eggs on all my dishes. And uh, I also rely on her for herbs and kale salad. You know, so I kind of have that area covered. All, all of my seafood comes directly from Seattle. And uh, I try to focus, especially depending on what's in season. You know, and it just it just changes, and I have I have twenty years experience with that. Yeah. Kind of just knowing what's what's in season and when we should be using it, when it's going to be at its peak. I never use farm raised fish, um, and I, I never use frozen fish unless it's absolutely necessary. Like for example, if there's an inclement weather week or something, and right. I had to use a, a previously frozen right. at sea piece of king, well, I wouldn't have a problem with that or uh, shrimp. But apart from that, everything else is uh, yeah. fresh, and I focus focus on that. And the way this the way this restaurant's set up is we're open Thursday through Sunday, so basically we start over brand new on Thursday, brand new. And, and it gives you, you know, a few days to reconfigure and get yeah the next ingredients if you're you know, constantly revolving through what's fresh at that time. Plus, you know, refresh your your mind. You know, sometimes yeah. when you're open seven days a week. It's you yeah. know you get ground down, but when you get when you get two days off and then one day to kind of put it together and start thinking about it, and it's just in my opinion, it's a luxury as a yeah. chef. I, I just I I enjoy that lifestyle that I never had really before. Yeah. I mean, when you have four restaurants and 190 employees, it never stops, man. The mm-hmm. phone when that phone rings, you get nervous. Yeah. start sweating <laughs> look, oh, look no. down the what phone your hands now? start shaking <laughs> is it, what is it what is, it could yeah. be anything it could be anything yeah. so i'll tell you my friend i don't miss that i don't miss that yeah. and uh that's not um my 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 life and my work is not about money and it became more and more real to me this year yeah it's about it's about being happy yeah. i'm sure a lot of people are feeling that right now 100 percent. yeah and I think that's why people are seeking out experiences like this restaurant right now, too. I don't know. I don't know what you think about the, you know, kind of the American culture value on everything always being the same. You can go to the grocery store and you can find every ingredient available all the time. doesn't matter where they get it in the world. You know, go to a restaurant and they have the same menu. It's always the same thing and it's got to taste the same way and... I think people are stepping back from that and starting to realize maybe that's not actually what we want. Yeah. I will tell you, I think, I get a sense that people are rethinking their lives and their values like never before. Never before in the history of America have people had a year to Mm. step out of the grind and think about what they're doing and who they are and where they're going. And I tell you, I will speak for myself. It scares the shit out of me. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I have the clock ticking in my background, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I got, I, what is the rest of my life going to be like? Starting today, really, st- you know, start over. 
okay? Reset. Press yeah. the reset button. What is the rest of my life going to be? Mm. And now I have a chance to make that decision and make the rest of my life. I mean, before, we're all in a grind. We're, we're going yeah. in a direction. We're swung. We're, yeah, we you're have, on those rails. Right. you got to keep on going. Exactly. Yeah. But now I've had the reset button pressed for me or it got pressed. And now I start over and I have a chance to shape my life and make it what I want it to be. And if it's not what I want it to be, then I have nobody to blame but myself. Would you call that a silver lining of the pandemic and the devastation of having to close your restaurants in Seattle and all of that? Or would you describe it differently than that? You know, it's a tough way to describe it, but you get it. You get it. It, it gave me a new chance to start over again. And yeah, I, I would say uh, in one hand, great tra tragedy, but on the other hand, um, yeah, it, I'm going to be stronger for it. I'm going to have a better rest of my life. I'm going to appreciate it more. I'm going to make more of it. Mm. I'm going to make more of the, of the time that I have. Um, yeah, absolutely. I hate to, hate to intimate that it would be that. But yeah, I have no choice but to make the best of it. I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it something know i'm gonna make something happen i don't have any choice it's just got to there's a lot of wisdom in that and and i i do feel it's for a lot of people more than just a silver lining it often gets called that but to me and maybe it's just semantics but silver lining denotes like well it was mostly bad but at least there was one or two little good things but in some ways yes it has been an awful time but out of that adversity I think, you know, your story, and I've heard so many stories of people who have rebirthed their, yeah. you know, careers, their life, their lifestyle, all because of this time that we've gone through. Well, it's huge. I'll tell you, I, I think my story is no different than a lot of people, but when you, I feel like the last couple of years have been some incredible growth in adversity, some really hard things, some really painful things, but those are the things that make you know you lived life, that make life beautiful. Yeah. You know, it may not feel great when you're going through it, but you look back and you go, that made me who I am, mm. that. And I, and I, I, you know, I should be thankful for that, that hardship, that what I had to go through, because it made me who I am. It, it helped me, you know, become a stronger person. And that's not the way I look at it. That's the way it is. Yeah. It's just not, I'm not trying to cast a, you know, a good light on Put it. Put a good it's spin on it. Yeah. True. It's true. Yeah. And, and every experience that you go through is like that. They're beautiful. You thank, thank the Lord that you're able to experience them now, no matter how hard they are. Exactly. Because they make you who you are. Thank you for sharing all this wisdom and your story and thank you for doing what you're doing here. I just, I mean, I'm always thanking farmers for the food that they grow. You're another piece of that puzzle to make it all work, to take that food the next step, you know, really turn it into art and 
feed it to nourish people, entertain people, and build community. And then you're coming around the backside as well, not just this one-way street where it starts with a farmer, ends with a consumer, and there are people in between, but then you're going back to the grower and bringing this full circle. And so thank you for that focus too. I think we desperately need that in so many more restaurants, stores, in different parts of our food system for us to get to where we really need to be well i appreciate you saying that and uh you know i i can i have said this before but this is this is this is where i'm going to finish it up so when you want to find me this is where i am (laughs) awesome this is the real food real people podcast these are the stories of the people who grow your food 